Welcome back. For this episode, I spoke with Wendy Hasselman, my neighbor of three years, but I never really ever got to know her too well. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Miss Wendy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fine. Thank you. Thank you for being patient with all the tech stuff. Um, how have you been? I haven't seen you in a very long time, even in the campus meetings that the, there's too many people on the screen. So I never show my face. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm usually in my pajamas or didn't brush my hair or something of the sort. <laughs> I, I luckily don't have that issue. Uh, the, the hair brushing. Part. I know. All right. Well, how has your, your summer been? Are you teaching this summer or are you taking the summer off? No, I'm teaching and I'm teaching a lot. And for numerous reasons, this summer is completely different than my regular summers are. <laughs> In what sense? Oh, well, aside the fact that we have a pandemic, I usually spend my summers in Spain. I normally teach abroad for mm -hmm. the summer. So needless to say, I'm home. So are you still teaching, I guess, those classes virtually or? No, no? I am actually teaching for the college. Okay. which is a heavier load, but it is what we're doing. <laughs> how has the transition, you mentioned earlier that you have two teenagers. So how are they old enough to where they can kind of entertain themselves? Or how has the transition been with your husband being in the living room working and then the two teenagers also, I guess, vying for your attention? The transition was easy because, you know, everybody's independent. We have the space, like, although I said, I'm going to go in my bedroom so that I have more privacy, we can everybody be in a room and everybody have a computer and do what they have to do. So, um, you know, it was more like keeping tab on their schedules, you know, like, hey, don't forget you have a Zoom meeting at 10. Don't forget you have a Zoom meeting at 1130. Did you turn in the homework? You know, the regular stuff, but I'm constantly there because they're here. They're not in a classroom anymore. Um, my husband... Stopped going to work about a week after we did. And his job has been attempting to reopen since June. And every time they get to that closer date, like a little more, a little more. I think they actually did open this week, but he didn't go in yet. Is he looking forward to it or does he prefer to work? No, no. Okay. Nobody wants to go back. Well, in this house. <laughs> I've run into some, I, I don't want to say strange people, but I, I've run into opinions that are perhaps on the stranger side where people are, are clamoring to go back. And I, I don't understand it. So I was hoping that maybe your husband would be able to explain or you would be able to explain if your husband thought that, but that's not the case. We, well, he, I don't think he's ready to go back for different reasons. Of okay. course, it's a pandemic. There's the risk of being with other people. I mean, he has a family, but he also has found that he's much more productive working from home than being in the office. Absolutely. He doesn't like, you know, all the interruptions and the chit chat and the senseless meetings. So he's like a non-task person. For me, it hasn't been much different because I used to teach online. I already was teaching most of my classes online and I really only went to campus for two or three classes face to face. Um, so for me, it's like a little bit more of the same. I think I have the most difficult part of being home because I don't have the house to myself ever anymore. 
So I used to be just the administrator, drop off, pick up, you know, send people out the door. It's like now it's like this house is never empty and it's always dirty. That that's one of those things that my my significant other and I, well, we even my mom, they say, "Don't you see the layer of dust on your desk?" And I say, "No, it's it's protecting it from contaminants in the air. That the dust is a layer of insulation. It keeps everything." clean from other dust that would fall on the desk. But yeah, it, 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 for whatever reason, it doesn't bother me, but Julie, my significant other, it drives her up the wall. Well, it's just, you don't even think about it. What traffic does to your household. I mean, we do have had help with the cleaning service, which actually stopped about six weeks ago because the person who did it got sick with COVID. Wow. So um, when they were in home, from 7 a.m. till 5 or 6 p.m., nobody was using the kitchen. Nobody was using the bathrooms. Fair. Nobody was walking around. <laughs> now they're here all the time. I guess things do accumulate over time, but yes. I didn't say that, Julie. Or mom. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, first open-ended question. I, I know that you've been my neighbor for the past three years, but I haven't uh, had an opportunity to really sit and talk with you. So I know next to nothing about you outside of that you teach Spanish and your office is next to mine. And sometimes you teach in the class in front of my office. So I'm going to give the mic to you. Tell me whatever you wish to about yourself. And uh, again, I, I think people keep sending me emails saying, no one cares about what they do. Tell us about or ask them being the interviewees to tell them, tell us about their lives. So oh, if, if it's work, then so be it. But share whatever you wish to. This is very open. And, you know, I've never done anything like this. Neither I have, have I. This is my 2019th time doing it. So <laughs> No, but I actually haven't had the time to listen to the ones you posted. I, oh, okay. I'm always thinking, oh, my God, that's so cool. That he has time to do this. I should listen to those. And I keep telling myself. And even though I was getting ready for mine today, I still didn't listen to one. That's so, okay. Um, I, I will today after this, but. Um, tell you about me. Um, well, you already know I'm a Spanish professor. I have been doing this for over 20 years. Um, I have been at Palm Beach State for 10 years. Prior to that, I was teaching at the University of Denver. I lived in Colorado for about 10 years before moving to Florida. Um, I went to graduate school at CU Boulder. And after that is when I started my job at um, University of Denver. What else? I grew up in New York. What what made you move? Well, oh, okay. So <laughs> why New York to Colorado first? Was it just for school? Oh. Mm -hmm. I was a high school teacher in New York City. And I mean, I grew up there, but I was, I'm originally from the Dominican Republic. I went to New York when I was a teenager. So I went to high school and college there and I became a high school teacher. And part of the high school certification process implied getting a master's degree, which I had was in the process of doing there. It was just so much work. It's like I'm teaching, you know, all day, then I have to go to night school. And um, my boyfriend at the time who I met at school suggested that we joined some graduate program and left New York. I had never even crossed my mind to leave New York. I was a New Yorker. So we started applying for school out West. And we applied everywhere and, you know, I got accepted to a couple of different schools and I chose 
CU Boulder. So that's how I ended up going to Colorado. Cool. And then you said 10 years there and then 10 years in Florida. What prompted the, the move to Florida? Well, I finished graduate school in Boulder and then I met my husband um, in Colorado. And around that time, my original plan was always to go back to New York. But then I met my husband. Then I landed a job at the University of Denver. I was there for about seven years. Then we got married and had children. And then we realized that we didn't want our children um, to grow up there because we didn't feel it was diverse enough. Mm-hmm. We are a very diverse couple. So my children are sort of like a salad. I felt that Colorado didn't have enough diversity and we were looking for other options. Florida came by accident. A good friend of mine, um, her, her husband landed a job at FAU. And she didn't have a job yet. So I will always get um, advertisements from jobs. And the job at Palm Beach State came up. So I gave it to her. And I said, listen, this is next door to FAU. So your husband has a job. You don't. And I said, oh, by the way, I'm going to apply too because it doesn't require a PhD. So we both applied for the job. And I got it. So here I am. <laughs> what, what is your husband's background? My, you mean where is he ethnically? from? Sure. He's he was born in New York. Mm-hmm. His um, father was Dutch. His mother is African American. You know, I'm Hispanic. That's why the whole thing about the diversity. Yeah, that so, makes sense. So yeah. Um, this came up with Luli, uh, and I, I, I'm not asking you to speak for your kids, but when I spoke with Luli, she mentioned that growing up in um, in, in South Florida in, in particular, as a South American, she didn't notice her Latin identity until she went to Duke and she was, you know, part of the Latin club. So in, in search or in hopes for more diversity for the kids growing up, do they recognize that that's part of their heritage or ethnicity or that, you know, do, do they recognize that other parts of the country are not as diverse as, uh, as perhaps South Florida is? They do recognize um, the meaning of diversity and the diversity within them. Mm-hmm. My children don't even speak Spanish. My husband doesn't speak Spanish. So yeah, he's the Spanish teacher with the children that don't speak Spanish. That's okay. So, I mean, I mean, they speak enough to get by when we visit with family, they talk to the cousins, they can catch a joke. You know, if I'm watching a TV show, they can sit around and understand what's going on, but they're not fluent. Um, they do know that they are Hispanic and they know a lot about Hispanic culture because I'm a Spanish teacher. This is what I do for fun. I, I am very into my roots. Like I listen to Latin music and I will watch films and would travel. I mean, I teach in Spain every summer. They are forced to go to Spain with me. Oh, that, that must be they're they're forced. <laughs> I, I would well, enjoy that. Well, in the beginning they were excited. And I was like, <laughs> Spain again, you know. <laughs> I wish that were a problem I had. Really? Spain again <laughs> well, this summer? This is terrible. It's a generational issue Fair. because I tell them how I would have killed to go somewhere when I was 14. Oh, yeah. Anywhere. <laughs> but they just take it for granted. It's like, oh. Spain again? Are you serious? It's like, we'll do the South this time. Yeah, but how different is it from the North? <laughs> <laughs> but um, 
so yeah, so they have traveled, they know a lot about the background. You know, we're very big on that kind of stuff around our house. Everybody mm-hmm. here reads a lot. So I don't know that they feel like they have to have a label that says, hey, look at me, I'm Hispanic. And sure. because of their mix, people really don't know what they are. They could be anything. They could be white, they could be black, they could be Hispanic, they could be Asian. I mean, I don't know. They could be anything based on their looks. It, it was confusing for me at least because coming from india where 99 percent of the population is brown or shades of brown the closer you get to the equator you get darker skin the the farther away you get from the equator uh, you have less melanin in your in your skin when i came to the united states i didn't know spanish not that i do now but the the only spanish i was taught uh by classmates of mine that thought it would be funny um and they said, or they told me that it translated to good afternoon, Mrs. Coral. I hope you're having a good day. Mrs. Coral was my 90-year-old AP English teacher, a Southern belle, pearls, the, the works, shoulder pads, and came to class, you know, prim and proper. I said, no me gusta pantalones. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I was like, really? That long phrase? Hello, Mrs. Coral. Good afternoon, Mrs. Coral. I hope you're having a nice day just translates to that short of a phrase. And uh, Matt Thomas said, oh, yeah, yeah, Spanish is very concise. Just just go. And when she, you know, it, when she's surprised, it's only because she doesn't think that you can speak Spanish. So say it a couple of times. And so that, that, that's about the only Spanish I learned. And I, I was sworn off of it. But Walking around my high school or, you know, waiting for the bus on the street or something like that, people would always approach me and start speaking in Spanish. Um, and I, I didn't understand why they would think that. But that being said, I had only been in the country for a few few weeks or a few months. Well, you know, it has to do with, I mean, once you're in a white, you just become a person of color, any sure. color, I think. And I mean... They joke with your friends. You didn't have access to Google. You could have solved that issue a lot earlier. I, <laughs> I was also that. very trusting. I, <laughs> I mean, even if I did have access, I, I probably would have said, oh, why would they lie to me about this? Why would they, yeah. you know, want to get me into trouble? I had no idea you were from India. I am. And I, you've I been was... my neighbor for three years. Of course, I never asked you, but, you know. But then again, and it's not that I didn't ask you because I didn't want to know. Like my children, they wouldn't ask that question. They think it's inappropriate. Another thing from this generation, but I would just ask the question because I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't even cross my mind because, you know, I guess, I don't know. <laughs> but, well, you said that they might think that it's inappropriate. What, why do you think that is? Oh, I don't know. I'm like when they have a friend from school and I hear the name and I pick up a Hispanic last name, for example, like I would I say to them, is he or she Hispanic? I think so. Did you ask her what country she's from? No, mom, I can't do that. Oh, <laughs> it's like it's it's and I it shocks me because when I was growing up, we were all very curious to know where everybody else was from, but it's different now. I think it's just there's no labeling anymore in the world. So if if I asked you where's your family from, then you're going to label yourself as Mexican or Colombian or Puerto Rican, and that's how they see it. I think. Fair enough. I, I, I don't understand the argument, but. Oh, I don't either. But this is the teenager world that I've been exposed <laughs> to lately. 
you know, they wouldn't even ask questions from the teachers either. You know, like when I said, well, if you don't understand that, why don't you write the teacher an email and ask her to explain? Are you crazy? The worst case scenario, just say no or not respond. You know, they won't ask. Weird. Very strange. Very, very strange. All right. So how, how did you meet your husband? You said you met him in Colorado. How, how did that come about? We met through friends. You know, I had a friend whose husband's brother worked with my husband and they just decided that we should meet. It was one of those things. All right. Uh, this question came up in not the last one, but the, the week before it came up on the spot. But when was the, or what did he last do? Or when was the last time you were upset with him, but you had to have a smile on your face as a result of whatever he had done or said? I was upset and I, I usually don't have a smile after I'm upset. It's <laughs> a very difficult question. Because <laughs> I can easily think about the last time that I was upset, but I'm not sure that I had a smile about it. Um, well, those, those are typically, you know, I, if I don't clean after myself, then my significant other will get upset. But uh, usually if I do something spectacularly idiotic, uh, then she'll say, really, you, you did that? But then she's saying it, she's yelling at me with a smile across her face. I can't remember. That's okay. What, how would he answer the question about you? I don't know. But, you know, but interesting enough, though, if you ask me that question about my children, I probably can come up with 10 examples okay, because they're ahead. teenagers and they make me mad all the time. And sometimes I, I just have to laugh. I will live vicariously through the lives of teenagers. So share whatever you like about them. Oh, well, the last one. I found my 14-year-old, almost 15-year-old, trying to sneak a little cup of wine to his room. And, and it was funny because it was instinct. I was... In the living room working, it was late. It was like 1.32 in the morning. He always goes to the fridge to get something to drink and juice or something. Of course, my, it's my fault. My wine was right there when you first opened the fridge. <laughs> and I, the pouring didn't sound right to me because I'm a mom and I, I know all the sounds. So I just, I let him finish. And as he was walking away from the kitchen towards the stairs, I walked towards him and I didn't speak to him. I just took the glass from his hand and I tasted it. <laughs> And I said, really? <laughs> of course, he was shocked. He didn't think he was going to get caught. <laughs> so I continued to walk to the kitchen. I poured the wine in the sink. I yelled. I said something. You know, he told me I shouldn't make such a big deal. It was the first time, whatever. And he walked away. Then I left. I, I know I've spoken about this before on the podcast, but it's it's strange that mothers have that weird feeling and it i find it very unsettling that my mom and my grandparents or my grandmothers in particular would just know what i was about to do before i did it like i, I would still be on the bed with my my dad's mom and I, I just like start scooting off the bed and start walking towards the kitchen and she would say no biscuits before three it's like, what? Why would you do that? What What would make you think that that's about to happen? I think it's just an instinct thing. You know, my kids laugh at me because 
we actually have a pretty good relationship in the sense that, you know, they're pretty open. Like even when they do something stupid with their friends, they will just come and tell us. Mm-hmm. We don't have to bug them about it. But um, it could be the simplest thing. Like I would say something like, did you brush your teeth? And I was like, yes. And I'm like, come on, you know, you did it. And I can just tell by the look on their faces that they didn't brush their teeth yet. They're like, how do you always know? You know, they always ask me that. It's like, I, it's like, it's like, I don't know. I just know you. But I think it has to do with the type of relationship that we have that, sure. you know, you know, like, you know, like my son felt okay telling me about the time that he went to a friend's house and while being there, he, they decided to go on a bicycle ride so he could go see this girl that he wanted to get his kiss from. And he went and got the kiss. Of course, I found that after the fact, but he could tell me that, you know, that, and that's another one where I was like, I was angry. I was like, dude, his mom didn't know you left the house to go somewhere else. I was like, oh, he got his first kiss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I would be angry or proud there. I, I don't know if, I or, or happy perhaps. I was, I was both. You know, it's, it's a life experience that he has to have. I mean, I can't determine when it's going to happen. Sure. So. All right. So... New York, Colorado, Florida, past 10 years, what, what comes to mind? What has happened since, uh, I guess you s- share whatever you like. Past 10 years, um, Florida was very different from what I was used to. Um, Even New York? Oh, very different from New York. In what sense? Colorado, I can, I can definitely see an easy answer to that. But in, in what aspects would it be different from New York? Culture-wise, like, I like... Florida does have diversity. I love the weather. You know, it's pretty, mostly clean, at least the area we lived in. Um, culture-wise, it's, people are different. You know, it's funny because growing up, you always hear people saying things like, oh, well, New Yorkers are rude. It's like, to me, coming here, it was like, whoa. And I don't know if the Colorado transition had anything to do with it. People in Colorado are extremely nice. <laughs> Like they go out of their way to be nice. Sure. <laughs> but culture here, just it was shocking to me. It was shocking. I, um, I find there's a lot of me, me, me. People are after their personal interests. And, pers- and, and I'm not even going to say personal growth because it's not always, and I'm talking in general, not about specific people because I do know some great people. It's not always based on intellectual emotional growth growth is perceived as something i mean i don't know like quantitative in a way i don't know like you know people are worried about the bigger house and the newest car and to me that was shocking did you find that that was not the case in colorado no i mean there's people that people like that everywhere but here it's like embedded in the culture it's it's a little bit more kind of i don't know maybe we have too much access to um, artists and the people on TV, that, that kind of lifestyle. I, I didn't feel it until I was here. Or maybe I was feeling it more because by then I was a parent raising, raising children. And those things, you know, you have a different perspective. Uh, I don't know. You become more acutely aware of, you know, what, what Your habits you don't. Yeah. Sure. But, you know, it's just, it was just. I don't know, different. <laughs> Maybe I was the one who was different. But maybe it was the first time that I realized that I was different. <laughs> no, I, I've been to Denver once, twice. 
uh, both times for conferences. I stayed probably three or four days on both occasions. And I did get the feeling that the lifestyle was slower. Everyone was not in a rush. And the couple of times I have been to New York, it's the exact opposite where, you know, get out of my way or I'm going to. In New York, you have to be in a rush just to survive. (laughs) But but see, in Florida, you don't have the amount of people. You don't have the way of transportation, the way of getting from point A to point B. Like I only drive 20 minutes to go to work, you know. I'm in a rush because my lifestyle requires for me to be in a rush. I have to drop off and pick up and all that. But um, then maybe that's part of it. It's like the having children effect. Like once I moved to Florida, um, I was offered a job in New York. And it was a job that I really, really wanted. I had actually applied for that job before moving to Florida. And I got it and decided not to take the job because I had one child and I wanted to have a second child. And the maternity leave didn't suit my liking because Uh the job that I had in Colorado allowed me to stay home for a very long time. I was home for like almost a year. Wow. (laughs) Was that institutionally guided or how did that happen? It had to do with the format. I was working for a private university and it had to do with the way that they said they, they were set up. They didn't have semesters. They had quarters. Okay. So in that... If I had a baby, I was entitled to having a quarter off. So when you put that quarter with your family leave and all that, you know, there's only one quarter in the fall. So technically, if I didn't go back to work from May and I had the fall off, I didn't really have to go back to like January. So it was just the way the way it fell, you know, like I I would always be home for at least three months regardless Mm -hmm. because of the setup that they had. But in my case, if I combined it with summer or if I combined it with Christmas break, then it was even longer. So after I had my son, when I had the summer off and then I was able to stay home, you know, for the first three months of his life, I was like, oh, well, the second one I'm going to really plan. So my daughter had to be born, you know, like the end of May, the beginning (laughs) of June. So she was born on June 3rd. But that's the reason why I didn't take that job at the time, because my goal was always to go back to New York because I just thought, you know, I'm going to get going my master's degree. And then I'm going to go back to New York and do my thing. Then I ended up staying in Colorado for 10 years. So, but um, so I was saying, so when the job was offered to me after I came to Florida one more time, I, it was very hard to make that decision because the only reason I didn't go to New York was because I had children. Because the idea of bringing my children into that chaos, I was like, no way, I have a playground in my neighborhood. <laughs> I can walk there. I don't have to put the kid and the bicycle in a car, park the car two blocks away from my house, and then find the playground. So, I mean, and obviously I would have had to live in New York City at the time, you know, at least in the, in the four boroughs of the city, whatever. Sure. How, how did you find the transition between uh, University of Denver or... Uh, Again, it's an open question in, in whatever regard you wish to answer. How would you differentiate teaching at University of Denver versus teaching at Palm Beach State? Oh, God, I was saying night. <laughs> it took me a long time to adjust because I went from teaching high school in New York City, which was teaching high school in New York City, to my graduate program at CU Boulder, which I had a teaching assistantship, so I got to teach at the University of Boulder as well. And then at the University of Denver, I had my first full-time job teaching at a university. Um, 
it was very different because of the setup. Like I'm at a community college. I mean, at the time I came in is when we changed to state college, but that doesn't change in terms of my area because mm -hmm. I teach foreign language. Foreign language is a requirement. We don't have a major, we don't have a minor, you know, it's just like take as much Spanish as is required so you can go make a career at another university. At the University of Denver, I had a Spanish program. I mean, I had students that started with me in Spanish one and they were with me in their third year. I had students who only had me before they traveled to Spain, you know, so we, I was able to teach everything, language, culture, literature. Here, I'm very limited. I can only teach two courses. Occasionally, a third one. I'm thinking back to a conversation we had, and I don't remember when we had it, uh, but it was something about pathways. And again, you can choose to avoid answering anything about this, but uh, we were talking about how, well, I, I haven't been secretive in my criticism of pathways and how much I, I dislike them. And you know, you, you take the element of a freedom of motion from students by saying, just take these classes and, you know, I, I don't think I would have been as good a mathematician if I didn't have as many courses in philosophy uh, because it, it rounded me out. It gave me a better appreciation for logic and, you know, the mathematician philosophers that came in the 19th, 20th, 21st century. And even though I didn't take foreign languages, I did take courses in sociology and history and philosophy. So I'd like to think that that contributed to me having a better appreciation for my discipline. And I think- And other disciplines. <laughs> oh yes, of course. I, I, I don't, you know, oftentimes no, I, I, I can guide my students better probably because I've taken the same courses instead of saying, you know, I, I only can to tell you about math and when to take which course or, you know, how, how to plan out your schedule in the future. But I know that, well, never mind. I take that back. I took Spanish together with French, and that was a terrible decision. That was a bad idea. <laughs> and Spanish was at 8 a.m. and French was at 9 a.m. And I, I don't know why I thought that that would be a good idea, but I, it was a, a moment of What weakness. was your advisor? <laughs> this was after I had graduated, so it was more of a... Personal challenge? I, yeah. Uh, Spanish, I don't know why. French, I know why. My... my girlfriend uh, her family is french canadian or julie is french canadian and i her mom and her dad can speak english but i i wanted to try to meet them halfway and try to learn some conversational french and like spanish or like my command of the spanish language my command of the french language extends to two phrases my birthday is august 19th and piece of paper Okay. So, so you can't get lost <laughs> in the country. <laughs> so whenever I'm talking to grandma, it's uh, feuille de papier. And she laughs and she's yeah, <laughs> feuille de papier. So anyhow, uh, how, where, where do you see things going? Do you think that there's a return to sanity? And I say that kind of tongue in cheek, but also I, I think we've gotten very far away from uh, what a college education ought to mean. Um, there is no sanity. That was part of my adjustment process when I came here because I came from something very structured. You know, I have been training my whole life to be an educator of foreign language, and that's what I did. 
Um, coming here, I found a lot of things that didn't go with what I had learned and what I've been trained to do. Besides that, while I was at the University of Denver as a lecturer, I decided to enlist on a second master's degree because it was a private university and it was free. It was like $50,000 master's degree. Why not? <laughs> so I got a master's degree in curriculum and instruction while I was there. So I have this idea about what pedagogy should be and how it should be handled. So in terms of changing, I didn't think there was, you say going back to normal or I forgot what, you, what the terminology is. I, I think I, I said I, return to sanity, but. Sanity, sanity and normal sounds about the same. So um, to me, it was shocking just the difference um, that I found. And we didn't have pathways at the time that I got here, which is 10 years ago, we have something else. And at that time, I remember that Spanish was actually an elective and it could be a choice between Spanish and health. Okay. And I was like, oh, <laughs> that's what I said. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, but you only have to have one. But somehow the Spanish course that you took required that you took two semesters of Spanish because that's what the university requires. Once you took Spanish one, it didn't make any sense to not take Spanish two. So then this is all based on a number of credits that you're supposed to take. Yet that number of credits is affected by how much financial aid you get. And to me, this is all like new information. It was so when we go into the pathways, now I remember what conversation you have with me. I was eliminated from the pathway. <laughs> there, there was no requirement or elective. Was, and, I, and I remember <laughs> just walking into my office, just feeling stupefied. I, I like in South well, actually, Florida, I think what you said was. In, we're in South Florida and Spanish is not a requirement or it, well, the foreign actually, language is not back. a requirement. I take it like back. I, okay. In the process of change, Spanish became a requirement, but only for the students who didn't comply with the requirements in high school, which also changed things a lot for us because, you know, the way they determine what is enough Spanish and what is not, like somebody who took Spanish in high school isn't necessarily ready to go into the next level of college um, Spanish, depending on where they were um, instructed or trained. But anyway, so it became a requirement and it drastically changed the way my department worked because now we have a lot less students because if our students took Spanish in high school, then they're not taking Spanish because remember, we only teach Spanish one and two. Mm -hmm. And then when they became, this pathway came on and I'm looking at the pathway, I said, where am I in the pathway? <laughs> I don't exist. And I think that's the conversation that you and I had somewhere in the hallway, similar, or must have been one of my complaining. I'm, I am, I happen to be very critical. You don't see me to be too outspoken, but when I do speak, I happen to be like, ah! But um, yeah, I think that's what happened. I mean, all the issues that I found along the way had to do with, um, they will send na native speakers to my classes. Like, why? If you were born and raised in Colombia, are you in my Spanish one class? You can talk to me in Spanish. That other person cannot. So I've been fighting and, and you know and arguing with the administration about no, they should not be in my class. You know, and especially because we're talking about um, students, you know, with a different socioeconomic status. If an advisor says to my Hispanic students. Take Spanish because it's an easy A and you can improve your GPA. I don't think they're doing them a favor. 
because the way I think of it is you are taking his money and he's not gaining anything from it because in reality, native speakers don't get A's because the class is too boring Mm -hmm. and it's not challenging enough. So they usually get B's or C's. Some of them get D's and have to take it again because now they're in the system. So if we have a CLEP exam, why send them to my class? It doesn't make any sense to me. And like you said before, I never took a foreign language class just because the path or whatever you call the system says that there's a foreign language class that you have to take. Don't tell the student take Spanish because you already speak Spanish and it's going to be easier. Tell the student, why don't you take an art appreciation class or a music appreciation class, you know? And maybe they will learn something new because maybe they're not ready to take a math class or an extra literature class, but have them take something that they probably wouldn't have taken anyway. It may enrich them somehow. So I don't know. And I think that 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 was specifically the case with me when I, uh, I, I spent a couple of years or two and a half years at RIT in upstate New York. And then for multiple reasons, I came back to Florida and started attending FAU, uh, here, foreign language was a requirement that you had to have two semesters worth of it. And I went to the testing center and I said, here's my transcripts from India. I've been learning Hindi for my entire life. So it was either you take a clap or, you know, you, you speak with someone and then you show them your transcripts from your native country. And then you say, OK, look, I have a language credit for what would be considered a foreign language here. And I, I think I spoke with someone in Hindi for about 10 minutes and they're like, yeah, yeah, this guy can speak Hindi. Just give him credit for it. And that, you know, I didn't get credit for it, but the requirement was waived. And that opened up six credits for me where I was able to take other courses that were of interest to me and, and some that weren't. But I didn't realize that philosophy of madness would be, you know, w- would set me on the path to taking a lot more philosophy courses. Yeah, but that created a positive for you. Uh-huh. And for me, the problem I have is that, you know, when we have the people who, who are supposed to guide these children, because they are children, into growing, you don't say to someone, well, you already speak Spanish, take Spanish, so that you get an ACA and you improve your GPA. And I mean, this is something that I've heard from advisors and professors and other people. Um, it's like, to me, it's offensive. It's like when somebody says to me, what do you teach? Spanish. Oh, it must be easy because you already speak Spanish. And my response is, of course, because your English teachers never got a master's degree. (laughs) Can you go and teach English? (laughs) You know, is it that simple? (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep my thoughts to myself. I, I I, I have something very, no, 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 no. I, I, I'm going to, uh, this is one of those things that even my, my parents often listen to these things and I think what I'm thinking is not something that they would appreciate me saying. So I'll keep that to myself. Uh, One question is, is there any room for student comes from Colombia speaks is a native Spanish speaker instead of placing him or her in Spanish one, because it's an easy A or whatever, are there, have there ever been conversations or is there any room for I, I don't know if there's a Spanish three or a Spanish for advanced learners or a Spanish for native speakers. Is there, has there never been a conversation or has, or has there been a conversation with, yeah, this is not going to work here. I have initiated lots of conversations where I'm the only one having the conversation. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, um, at FAU, they have a Spanish program that ends in a minor major or a master's degree. 
Therefore, FAU has Spanish for heritage speakers. Mm -hmm. So somebody who comes from another country and speaks the language and may not know how to read it or write it properly, but knows the language is considered a heritage speaker. And what they do in those courses is that they help them polish, you know, the structure of the language, the grammar, the syntax and that stuff. They're not learning to speak the language they already do. FAU has that. We don't have it. I have asked if we could create those courses. I have said to them, you know, instead of telling the students, well, if you really want to improve your Spanish, because some students will say, yeah, but I want to learn how to read and write. You tell them, take the CLEPT exam, which you will pass because you speak enough Spanish to wait Spanish one and two. And when you get to FAU or, you know, UCF or wherever you go, they usually have Spanish for native speakers or for heritage speakers. Then you there enlist in that path and advise them on how do they make it so that whatever their career goal is, is enhanced by this extra. Because now you can say, well, I have a minor in Spanish or I have a double major with Spanish, which for them will be so difficult to reach that major or minor because they're not starting from zero. They're starting halfway. They probably begin with a conversation class or a writing class because they're already heritage speakers. So where do you think the disconnect is? Because, I mean, to me, it's common sense. To you, it's common sense because you deal with it on a daily basis, presumably a daily basis. But what is it? I don't think that people in the advising office or people that are suggesting these things to the, to the new incoming students are malicious people. I, no, I don't no. think that they're operating from a position of, oh, let's, you know, ruin this person's time. No, but no. Wh wh where no. do you think that disconnect is then? What, what, what prevents it from being better? It has to do with knowledge, training, and. But those are things that can be acquired slash given. Yeah, you know, conversation but who's giving them and who's providing them for me to acquire? You know, it's like for me, it's two plus two because this is what I, I've been doing this for 20 years. I mean, I've been educated to make sure that anybody who wants to learn a foreign language, and I'm not just going to say it's Spanish, my training is on foreign language teaching and learning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even if I don't speak Arabic, I can give you some sense of what should be the path to take depending on what your goals are. Um, I believe that because we are just creating AA degrees, um, we have to complete this path. And that's, that's where the path comes in. This is the logic of the path. You have to get from point A from point B to point B. And when you get to point B, then you transfer to the university. You know, for a while, at Palm Beach State College, one of my things, you know, when you're new and you don't have tenure, you're going to a lot of stuff. <laughs> I was the liaison for the Honors College. And I have to tell you that that was one of my favorite things to do since I've been here. I was having fun. <laughs> I wasn't only teaching honors classes, I was interacting with this group of kids and I was doing all these things with them and we had the cultural activities and the extra activities and it was so much fun. And for me, just to be able to just give them information and send them in the right path and, you know, and when they came back to me and they say, I'm going to Chicago, I got a $28,000 a year scholarship, you know, can you write me a letter of recommendation? And I was happy to write that letter of recommendation. Um, it was awesome. I mean, it was so, so much fun because I felt like I was doing something that I had to do as an educator and as somebody who's been an academic all of these years. But sometimes it's just like 
mechanical. You have to take this and this and this and that and that and that, and then you can transfer. I don't know. Maybe the advising should be set up in a different way. Maybe it should be set up by um, major interest. Maybe, maybe I think sometimes they don't have the same advisor with them for the whole two years. It's more like, oh, I need advice and I go into the office, I get whoever I get. I don't, I, to be honest with you, I don't understand it. And I'm saying maybe because I really don't know how it works. But I do get upset when students say to me, well, my advisor told me this. And then I know for a fact that that's not really like the best path for that particular student because I am at the level now that I have interacted with the student enough to know what their goals are or, you know, what their hope is, you know, or, you know, something as simple and that and that goes back to my original statement about culture something about how things work in florida like you have no idea how many students i've had in my classes who in my opinion are brilliant and i would say to them so what is your goal when you graduate forget about me telling them did you join the honors college did you honor did you join ptk did, you know i'm always on top of that but when i say so what is your goal well i'm gonna go to fau why because it's next door I said, so what is your goal? I want a career in such and such. Why don't you research and find what the best university opportunity is for you in that area? Because I can't leave my family. And I said, why not? Your family still be here in two years. You go out there, you grow, you bring more to your community. Nobody's training them to do this. It's not even logical in their head. I wonder where that ought to happen at the very first stage. Like, where should they um, – a conversation I had with uh, my stepdaughter popped in my head just now where we had the similar discussion of, you know, where, where do you want to apply for college a year and a half or two years ago? And the – decisions were very florida centric and i said do, do you not why not consider someplace outside of florida and I, I don't think i got a good response to that so i, I just let it go and uh, i did not have the same experience i i wanted to go away as far as possible and and but i also wanted to keep coming back like oh thanksgiving break let me come back winter break let me come back i did that too but i went I to colorado and I, and I went to new york every summer and i worked it i worked a job in new york every summer while i lived in colorado when i was in my program and i also went home every christmas i mean that was my home you know sometimes home changes eventually changes mm -hmm. But that's what i tell my students you know like why is everybody so afraid oh and they will say something like Oh, but why would I want to leave Florida? Everybody wants to come to Florida. It's warm and nice. And I said, I didn't tell you to leave permanently. Sure. I just say, you go away, you learn more, you bring back to your community. Your community also needs to grow. And we have this idea that this is supposed to be just, it's just fine the way it is. Let's not touch it. <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. But I mean, I often use myself as an example. I mean, I was teaching high school in New York City and I literally just packed my stuff and went to see Boulder. And, you know, it's funny because I told my mom, and this is just now over 20 years ago, mom, I applied to school and I got a scholarship to go to Boulder. So I'm going to go to 
I'm moving to Colorado. And she's like, oh, great, blah, blah, blah. And I remember the day before I moved that I called her and I said, mom, I'm leaving tomorrow. And she said, where are you going? And I said, I told you I was moving to Colorado. <laughs> she said, I didn't know you were serious. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise, <laughs> I, I really am yeah, leaving. <laughs> it was really funny because at that point I had already given away all my furniture. You know, I have my, have my little Toyota hatchback like loaded. <laughs> with a few things that I was taking and I have my clothes, my books and my hats in hands. And that's all I was taking. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. I mean, and it happens even with, you know, the best students, even the dual enrollment students, you know, they haven't been exposed to anything outside of home, but even when they got ready to go, they don't, they're not dreaming for like, you know, I want to go to Harvard. I mean, and I don't mean everybody should go to Harvard. I, mean, sure. I just think you should go for the best opportunity there is. And it's often placed on money and financial need, but it could happen. I mean, I did it. I, I mean, I, I paid for my BA because I was living alone and working three jobs in New York City, and I did that. But that was hard. So my thing after that was I don't want to pay for an education again. So I went to see Boulder with a teaching assistantship. My second master's at the University of Denver was free. So it's like, yeah, I like it this way. This is better. So why not try for that? <laughs> I wonder if it's, if it is, how much of it or what percentage of it is, is financial constraints? How much of it is just people being risk averse? And how much of it is, is not, I don't want to say bad advising, but maybe that's the phrase for it, but uh, incomplete advising, or I, I feel like it, it ought to be our part as an institution to say, yeah, you start here, you get a good, strong, inexpensive base, but then why not shoot for the stars? Why, why is it that you think you're only good enough for FAU uh, because of the proximity effect? Why do you think you can't go to Georgia Tech or University of Michigan? And whenever I share those stories in my calculus courses or even intermediate algebra, uh, at both ends of the spectrum, students are always like, well, that was just the one guy. No, this, this happens probably once a year. And if it would happen more frequently, if more people, more of you would be willing to take a flyer and, and say, I'm going to apply for a scholarship. This guy had to write a boatload of essays and he got seven or eight scholarships that basically took care of the entire experience. And, uh, th there were some more mature students. One went to UPenn, one went to Chicago, both not on complete full rides, but you know they got $10,000 from here, $12,000 from there, uh, summer work or work study, that kind of stuff rounded out their financial aid package. But how, how, how do you think you change that? How do you change the mindset? Or do you think it's I, just the culture in South Florida that, you know? You... I think it's education. I think they don't talk enough about this in those, what are those? SLS. College prep. Yeah, I don't know. The, I never know the letters. Those college prep courses. I think it should start there and it should be supported. But it, should be, it should be supported by advising and the administration. I think that the students should be Edu educated on how do I get the best education possible. I don't think that you should go to college just because you graduated high school. You should go to college because you want to go to college because you, you really, I mean, oh, and, and also I'm finding more 
students who are coming to college for the paper. They just want the piece of paper that say they completed. They don't, they're not really interested in the learning experience. And I'm saying some, because like I said, I've had those great students. I mean, you have your good stories. I, I Just a couple of weeks ago, I was in touch with one of my former students who was again writing to me to thank me for all the encouragement she received from me when she was at Palm Beach State because she graduated from the Honors College, went to um, Chicago, um, got a degree in engineering. She has been working in biotech and she's now going into a medical program at Harvard to become a surgeon. Wow. And she still remembered me. <laughs> so, you know, yay, highlight of my day. <laughs> I want more of those. Amen. I'll leave it at that. I mean, like, it's just, I don't, I like, and I love that we have an honors college and I love all the opportunities that the kids that go to there, but I don't want it to be that only that group of kids know that they can aspire to whatever they want. I want every kid in the college to know that they can aspire to everything. You know, I, I talk to my students and they never heard of like things like a semester at sea. Like what's a semester at sea? I'm like, a wonderful opportunity to learn about the world they never heard about it you know but then i also nobody's training them on how do you get financial aid how do you get scholarships to get the things it's like financial aid is limited to paying for my credit so i can come in here and get to that paper what happens beyond that piece of paper then i'm going to go for another two years to the next level and i'm going to pay 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 or get financial aid to get to the other paper and then what and then the reality is that we're not living in the 1960s. You can hardly get a job with a BA anymore mm -hmm. or make enough money. So when you tell them that you may need to get a master's degree or get a PhD, like, what? Another paper? <laughs> They're not ready for it. They haven't gotten that training. So I think they should be made aware of where is your goal and how much do you have to accomplish to get to it. But I still think it's a different cultural mentality. Fair enough. I know I, I always try to stay away from work talk, but eventually as, as, as teachers and having that something in common, it, it ends up being very hard to avoid. You brought up the pathway. I apologize. <laughs> it was my mistake. I. I recently had the conversation with uh, with my students because they keep incessantly asking how many questions are going to be on the test. And I always give them flippant answers, like 516 questions. Uh, I or, just tell them I don't know. Or I tell three. them I didn't count them. <laughs> well, I, I, I tell them that, and it's true, that I make the test you know, either the day of so that my answers to them when they ask me questions over the weekend aren't guided or impregnated by me having already made the test. So I, I want to have as clear a brain as possible when I'm answering those questions. So I'm not biased, you know, or giving them um, implicit hints without even knowing that I'm doing that. Or, yeah, don't worry about this question. No, I, I don't want to make the test before I answer those questions. But they learn about this in SLS. And that was where that, that conversation was going, that why are you asking students to ask their professors how many questions are going to be on the test? Are they actually asking them to ask those questions? Those it's are not in, original it's questions? It's in the textbook. They, the, the students, textbook 
The textbook says that, and it's highlighted as a study skill. That's yeah, not a study that. skill. Why? Why w- would you study for a test differently if it only had three questions versus thirty? Yes, they would, because the other thing is that there's a lot of. Um, I'm going to give you a review for the test that looks just like the test, and okay, there's a so. lot. There's a lot of. Well. You're going to take five tests in my class, but you can drop the lowest two. So the student already comes in with a, well, I'm not feeling too well today. I'm, you know, my girlfriend wanted to go to the movies. My mom was sick, whatever. This is going to be one of the ones that I'm going to drop. But then you're going to have the real emergency. Which other one are you going to drop? <laughs> I mean, and, and I'm not saying that this shouldn't be an alternative. It shouldn't be an option. We still have to educate them on like, even if you have those options, think of it as something good, something extra. Don't think of it as a given or like it's a giveaway. Because if we think like, well, you know, you have to take this class, but I'm giving you these giveaways before you come in there. I mean, you teach math. I teach foreign language. And I tell them because I actually often say my class is like the math class. If you don't know the formula from yesterday, you'll be lost when I teach you the formula for tomorrow. Sure. Because one depends on the other. So you cannot not come to class for a whole week and assume that you're going to get caught up the next day when you come back. If you don't learn the stuff that you missed before you come back, you're, you're lost. You're going to need help. And they have a problem asking for help because tutoring is extra time and it's extra work. They don't think of it as a plus, as help. As, I mean, I have students who would not pass my class because you need to get at least a C to pass my class and move on to the next one. And they will retake the class with me and get a D again. How do you do that? You already know my system. (laughs) You know, so they're not properly being trained. You know, if you come in my classroom and the first week I say to you, you know, you made it after Spanish one and you barely made it. I need you to go to tutoring every week for the first six weeks of this class. If you didn't listen to me, you're not going to make it because I know what I'm dealing with. I know what the material looks like. And I already know how much you know. But they're not being trained for that. I mean, the other thing, in my time, I would have never in my life shown up to a test that I didn't think I could at least get a C on. I, when somebody gets a 20 on my test, I'm like, why did you come? What was the purpose? <laughs> did you think we were just going to get lucky? You know, my exams are not multiple choice. You couldn't even play the lottery with them. <laughs> so I'm curious. What, what? And I see that a lot in, in my discipline where students almost wear not studying as a badge of honor. Like, oh, you're going to fail. I'm going to fail too. And it's a disheartening thing to hear. I, I can hear stuff through the door. And, you know, students are often waiting right outside the classroom, which is right across the hall from my office. So oh, sometimes <laughs> they're, they're very loud and, you know, you, oh, you didn't study. I didn't study either. Ha, 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 ha. I don't understand that. What, what makes that a more attractive thing to say or a better thing to say than to just not say anything? In having teenagers, I'm learning a lot. It has to do with the training that they get in high school and they get through the school process mm-hmm. um you and i we're from different countries we have different training and we're also older i'm probably a lot older than you but anyway um these students come through a system in which 
they've been either been always been held by the hand or they've been taught to the standardized exam unless they were in a decent program that did something else. My children go to very good schools. I mean, when like, I can think that any of their friends are like really smart kids and they're doing really well and all that. And I found out that they share homework. They call each other and they literally take turns. Like, I'll give you social studies, you give me math, such and such is gonna give me English, and then they just rotate, they have a system. Our college students do it too, because I've seen it happen. But then when they come into a class like mine, or perhaps yours, where there's no pattern, there's no repetition. Like if, and also, if you didn't learn the material from yesterday, you cannot do the thing tomorrow. Somebody can give you yesterday's homework, but if that person is not there on Tuesday, you're lost, because you don't know where it came from. So they haven't processed that yet. They, they, they have not been trained to know that as a college student, you have to know how to learn. Because if you don't know how to learn, you're not going to learn. <laughs> and I'm not even saying you have to know how to study. <laughs> you just you, have to know how to learn. Yeah, and there's a big difference there. I, I agree exactly. wholeheartedly. I, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried. And, and maybe it's something that I have to spend more time on. But I, I can't. I don't want to shame them into studying, but I want them to be to be proud of accomplishing things when they do. And I find that, you know, if a student gets an A on a test and it's a surprise, they just think that, oh, I didn't study it. Well, they, that doesn't happen because all the tests are free response. So it, it just simply doesn't happen that someone gets an A by luck. But I realized I switched to only free response exams because for maybe the first year I was doing multiple choice tests. I asked one student comes to mind in particular. I asked this individual to be an SI for my class. That's how much I, I was impressed by, by their work. And, uh, same student took my college algebra class, did not agree to be the SI. And I realized later why failed every single test in college algebra, did not know a single answer. Wow. And I said, you, you got an A in intermediate algebra. How did you do that? Oh, your tests were multiple choice. Now you have some multiple choice and some free response. And I, I just, I, I am very good at pattern recognition. So I can often remember that, you know, complex numbers, the answer is going to look like this. So if you only have one answer choice that looks like that answer choice or what's expected, I choose that and I get it right. I don't know how to get from the, the question to the answer. I just know that this question should have an answer that looks like this. That forced me to think about, oh, these questions are atrocious. And I was taking them from the publishers, uh, test generation. <laughs> and and well, I didn't testing. know any different because, you know, when I started, I was told this is an well, we option do. for making tests. And I said, okay, why would I do anything different? I'm not going to rock the boat and I'll just continue mm -hmm. to do the same thing. When I first got here, that was the first advice I got from the people who had been here before me. I was told, make yourself a good multiple choice test and use a scantron. Um, one issue I have with my online classes, and I have to go through this with my supervisor every time I have to do the annual report, is that my biggest complaint on online classes is that I don't grade fast enough. And that's because I assign too much. I assign more than I could possibly grade. Of course, this is my fault. This is the problem I have. I understand it. But at the same time, you will find that students in evaluations will always say, 
that I will promptly respond to the, to the questions. I will answer the emails and then my course is organized. I make sure that they know this is how you're gonna do it every time. Am I giving them too much? Perhaps by our standards. Um, should I cut some stuff so I can get done grading someday? <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> you know, but it comes, but I don't know what to take out. I am teaching a foreign language. If they, they need to read, write, speak, and listen. It's very hard to do that online. <laughs> so I have to create this variety of things so I can evaluate them in all the forms. So, um, you know, it just is what it is. I could just make all my exams multiple choice and auto grade it, but am I teaching a foreign language? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, a responsibility to the discipline that I didn't know I had when I started full-time mm -hmm. and it was only through conversations with people at conferences where I kind of realized that what I'm doing is is perhaps not is not fair to the students I'm not giving them the best that I could and I don't think I'm holding them to a high enough standard where I'm not saying that you know you you have to love math but you have to have some basic facility before I can say that yes you deserve to pass uh, and then, you know, I feel comfortable saying that Wendy was in my intermediate algebra class and regardless of who she takes college algebra with, she is adequately prepared. And that's the goal. And, and no that's what way, I tell my students. No way I could have said that in my first year of teaching and not to say that I've, I have this eons of experience, but. No, not necessarily. I think that, I mean, even if that student had an ability to do multiple choice, some students don't have that ability, by the way. <laughs> and that student would have probably done well enough in the next class. And you sure. want him to be prepared to do well in the next class. But maybe he couldn't be an A student in the next class because the situation has changed. I actually had the opposite happen to me. When we had to switch to remote in the spring, my face-to-face -face students, we were in the middle of the semester. And we have taken our first exams in the classroom, our first oral exam in my office. You probably hear me with them. Um, you know, we have done or uh, class presentations were done, done in the classroom. Everybody brought their PowerPoint and they have to present and stand in front of the class. Everything changed. And now they're bringing in the PowerPoint to collaborate and presenting it to the class. Oral exams are fully online. You know, are they cheating? Maybe, I don't know. I am not there. Um, and then when I gave them their chapter exams, I had some students actually say to me, I prefer the exam in the classroom. And I said, why? You're taking the exam at home online now. It's an open book exam. You've been begging me for open book. They said, somehow it was more complicated. We weren't trained for that. <laughs> I can see that. I, I can see that, you know, I, I, I don't have a very elaborate setup, but I, I can certainly see students that are more technologically inclined. You know, I have them... Uh, buy these uh, boom arm or gooseneck little things and then they put their phone in it and they have to have their phone overlooking their work set work area work surface whatever they're whatever they're working and i need to be able to see their computer as well to make sure that they're not doing something oh, they're yeah. not supposed I didn't, to i didn't get there yet um i'm also a lot, a lot more paranoid and no 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 and, like, and a lot of people do that and they use the what is lockdown browser from blackboard and other things I wouldn't even go there. To me, that's too complicated. I, I, you know, I get. I will give them the benefit of the doubt. I would um, also 
distribute my grade accordingly so that my exams are not 50% of my class. Mm -hmm. Just because you get an A on my exam doesn't mean you pass the class. And at this point, I have seen it all. I mean, like, you, like online classes, I laugh because sometimes they will have a native speaker take the exam for them. And of course, me, I recognize that if you didn't take the exam because you don't make spelling mistakes <laughs> when you're not a native speaker. And I'm talking about, you know, phonetics mistakes where like a C is an S or a B is a V and vice versa. Or they will be asked to be recorded on a question and I hear a Cuban accent in the <laughs> response. <laughs> and one, the way I, I, I fight for that is that at the beginning of the semester, I ask them to introduce themselves in English and I have them recorded in a video. So I already know who they are and what they sound like. So if I'm listening to a recording and I see that the name doesn't match the voice, I go back to my original, like, that's not who you are. So there comes academic dishonesty in the picture. And we have to go through all that. But I, I mean, I just think that they should be able to have a variety so they can excel at whatever they're good at. Because some kids will be really good at the multiple choice and some will be really good at the analytical stuff. And some may not be good at either. And you have to give them other alternatives. But what are we going to do? It's a work in progress. We're work yeah. in progress. I'll leave it at that. All right. I, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions that came from a couple of people before. Uh, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? In life or as a teacher? <laughs> Both. Either or. Oh, boy. In life, my children. Okay. That, uh, Besides your children, now, because I, as, a, as a good parent, which I assume and I hope you are, I, I think all parents are obligated to say their children. So that, that almost becomes the default answer. No, I don't think it. I don't think it's an obligation. I well, think that, I mean. OK, I take that word back. Obligation was the first, probably the wrong word. Most no, people will likely think. That the kids are the, the desolation of all that is good in them, or at least that's what they hope that they don't pick up your bad habits, that they pick up all that's good in you and your family. Oh, they'll find a lot of people along the way to pick bad habits. Don't worry. <laughs> well, that's why I said you hope. I'm, I'm, I'm only hoping to give a foundation. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's where the word, the hope comes in. But so outside of, of children and, and hopefully them, you know, staying on the good path, what would you say is your greatest accomplishment? I think that I have taken advantage of every opportunity that I have gotten in life. Um, and I've had a lot of opportunities. So I would say that my biggest accomplishment has been taking advantage of every resource and opportunity that I could to become a better person and a better contributor to the world and to society. Like, I don't... I don't even know how to explain it because I don't want to sound like I'm trying to like, you know, like I, don't, I don't even go to church. So <laughs> I, um, okay. I, I have a question, a follow-up to that. And, and you're welcome to come back to your answer if you like. So when you're faced with opportunities, there's always an opportunity cost that in order to do a, you have to give up B typically that, you know, if you, if you want to go to UC uh, Boulder or, yeah, UC Boulder, then maybe there's, I don't know, I'm making this up. Uh, maybe NYU offered you a position as well. 
And by virtue of taking the position or taking the graduate uh, assistantship at UC Boulder, you had to give up the position at NYU. So whenever you're faced with these opportunities, is it an easy decision for you to make or do you struggle with it at times where you say, on one hand, this will be better for me in the long run, so I should do it and therefore you just close your eyes and you jump? Or do you at all wrestle with it? Because, yeah. I, I wrestle with it, but I, I enjoy challenge. Okay. So I don't have, I mean, I don't want to fail. So if I know that I'm in for failure, I will not even get my feet wet. But if I have any indication that I can get some sense of accomplishment through the process and that I can grow with it, I would totally go for it. I mean, like I was never planning on being a, a, um, a college professor. Mm-hmm. I was a high school teacher. I really was just trying to get my certification done. And when I went to Boulder, my idea was, I'll go to Boulder and I have to teach and go to school. It will take me two years instead of God knows five years, one class at a time every night. And I'll come back and finish my certification. That was my goal at the time. Along the way, all the opportunities came up. You know, once I was doing my master's degree at the University of Colorado, um, most of my um, peers decided to continue into a PhD program. A PhD program wasn't for me because I wasn't interested in doing research. That wasn't something that was fulfilling to me. So I decided that I would like teaching and I wanted to continue teaching. That was the kind of you know, job that I wanted to have. I didn't want to be worrying about research and competitions and all that. So I did that, but then the opportunity came to get a second master's degree. And it wasn't just because it was free. I was really interested in education at the time. So I was like, okay. Here's another opportunity. I mean, did it help that it was free and I was doing it in the same building that I was teaching and I didn't have to drive anywhere? Of course, to me, that was the opportunity. So I had an opportunity to do that. But what I'm saying is, it's not so much about, am I choosing one over the other? It's more about what is the ending goal? What am I going to accomplish? What am I going to gain from it? And my gain doesn't always have to be um, monetary or, or, you know, or quantitative, you know, like when I gave up the job in New York, that was a dream job to me at the time. You just make your choices. All right. Fair enough. Uh, what is your greatest failure? I should have prepared for this meeting. <laughs> I don't know. Let me think on that. I mean, I can think of things that bother me, but I don't know that I consider them failure. Okay, well, let's let's modify the question then. What, what's a decision that in the moment you thought was a good idea, but then later on you came to regret it for some reason or the other? I'm going to see you down the hall when we come back to campus. I may just go knock on your door and say, I have an answer, <laughs> but I don't have an answer today because... It, okay. it has to do with my personality. I have this way of seeing things. Like I always make the best out of whatever I have, you know? So if this situation is really bad, I will find a way to either stay, step out of it. <laughs> I'm very good at that. Or 
modify it in a way that is livable. Okay, okay. I'm going to give you an example. Um, the change from University of Denver to Palm Beach State. It really hurt me emotionally at some point because I went from, you know, like really doing what I wanted to do, which is like, you know, making people grow in the idea of learning a foreign language and learning about the target language and culture. That's what I did. You know, we started with the baby steps and we saw them grow all the way till they were like literally speaking Spanish. You know, I remember there was one time when one of my students came back from Spain and she said, hey, Wendy, I'm back from Spain and I want to meet you for coffee. And we met for coffee. She said, I just want to tell you that you're the only professor I ever had before I went to Spain. She literally only took every Spanish class with me. And it coincided with my schedule at the time. She went from Spanish one to Spanish four. And then she went to Spain. She said, and I got to Spain. And you're not even from Spain. You don't have their accent. <laughs> so it was a change for her, but she, she was very happy about it. So that was the kind of setting in which I was teaching. Mm-hmm. You know, we could mold these people into these Spanish speakers. I'm not molding Spanish speakers anymore. I'm fulfilling a requirement. So when I first got here, that was big for me. And it was a very difficult time. But I learned to make the best of it, you know. For a time, it was the Honors College. For another time, it was something else. I got involved in a lot of things. Then my children got older. And then it came to the point that I decided, well, you know, you've been teaching for, what, 15 years now? You don't have to worry about the job. It's a good job. You are in a good place. You, have, you make a decent living. So the job became a way to fit my lifestyle. The lifestyle that I wanted to have could be accomplished by keeping that job. I could have left the job if I didn't want it and I could go to a nine to five position, but that didn't suit my lifestyle. So in making that decision, that was a decision I made. So it wasn't the worst decision I made in my life. It was a decision that I have to modify to fulfill my personal needs. And it worked. Question for the future. Once once the, the, the teenagers are grown up and off to college, is there any desire to go back to UC Denver or University of Denver or an institution like that where you're able to not fulfill or, or help people fulfill a requirement, but uh, give them a better introduction to the culture and the language? This is a very good question because it's a question that's in my head a lot. I probably have about five years before both my kids go to college. Mm-hmm. And with my luck, they'll say, I just want to go to PBSC. <laughs> it's free. <laughs> but um, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I would like, ideally, to retire from teaching and start doing something else. Oh, what, like what? I don't know yet. That's perfectly No, I honestly don't know. Like I have actually gone through the process of, because I also, I do a lot of outside work too, besides teaching. Like I do consulting and I do um, freelance and I work with um, publishers and I've been involved in a lot of projects along the way, you know, translation things. And there's all that that's still connected to the language, but I have actually looked into like, um, PhD programs, master's degree programs. I mean, I started teaching when I was young. So, and now to retire, you have to wait till you're really, really old. So although I've been teaching over 20 years, I could still do another career for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So it's complicated. 
Well, I wish you I mean, the best of luck with, with whether it's continuing to teach or a PhD program or something else. It, it certainly sounds uh, a pursuit worth pursuing. I guess I can't really think of a better word. But it, it's admirable to, to see that, you know, a lot of times uh, I was speaking with Sungji yesterday uh, and we were talking about how some individuals perhaps get complacent and, and you know, courses go into autopilot and assignments become multiple choice. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned that you get that in your evaluations, that that's the only thing or that's more often than not the only thing that I get, you know, a lower average on because my tests are, are free response. If you want me to give you copious feedback on how to not make these mistakes in the future, it's going to take time, even if I'm typing out my, my suggestions to you. Uh, but the other thing is that in what we teach, though, I find that, yeah, there's a right answer and there's mm-hmm. an incorrect answer. But it's not only that. If I'm not giving you meaningful feedback, why am I testing you? So wh- why do you... <laughs> I, I ask that question very frequently. Uh, <laughs> I haven't been getting good answers and usually it's, you don't have tenure, shut your mouth. Uh, or, or don't I have tenure. Well, no, no, no. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I get that question or whenever I ask that question, whether it's that or, you know, I, I, well-meaning people always say you're rocking the boat, calm, calm yourself down. Once you have tenure, then you can kind of, you know, be more I critical of, of, of things or how life is. But how, how do you think you've been able to I hate to put it bluntly, not be complacent. Oof. I'm going to tell you a short story without names. I was once accused of challenging authority because I could be very outspoken. Mm-hmm. And I replied by saying, I am not challenging authority, but I will always challenge injustice. And there's a lot of unfairness going on around here. So I, I, I understand, you know, like, and like I said, you probably haven't heard me speaking too much other than my hello, goodbye next door, because it comes to the point that I was like, okay, lifestyle, <laughs> move on. Sure. <laughs> Get to the point, and I do have tenure, so I have an advantage. And I remember the time when I didn't have tenure, and, and we are working a system where the people who have tenure have gone through it and gotten to my point where it's like, you know, I'm going to teach, teach, teach. And the people who don't have tenure trying to get tenure so they come to you and they and they use you and i don't want to exaggerate but sometimes they abuse you and they you know and they delegate to you and and they know that you're good at something and they sort of like sometimes they you know like you know they put you on the spot it's like this person is so good at this da, 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 da. And, but then sometimes sort of like abuse it in a way you know like yeah i'm good at this but i don't want you to just use me to your benefit you know, like my goal is to be good at what I do because this is what I do. So it's complicated. I know what, where, what happens to those of you who haven't gotten there. And I don't know how many people are going to hear this. Who's going to hear it. I know what it took for me to get to where I am. Um, I'm here because I like to teach. I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, my, my husband laughs at me because I'm always complaining. I'm like, and on my next job, you know, he says, oh, stop it. You love teaching. <laughs> or, you know, but this is what I do. But I, I mean, I do hope that I can get to that point where I can reinvent myself. Not because I am tired of teaching, but because 
I think there are other things that I could do well. I, I admire that within uh, a group and, and perhaps I'm concentrating only on the negative uh, and, and perhaps I am. I, I hope that there's more people out there like you as opposed to people that, you know, have, have put things in autopilot and I don't want to say falling asleep at the wheel, but more people that uh, enjoy challenging themselves. And, and my parents, you know, my dad is pushing 70 probably. Um, we, we've had conversations a couple of times where he is this very accomplished engineer and, you know, he enjoys teaching, but for a variety of reasons, he's been an engineer all his life because it paid significantly more. And now that he's thinking about uh, retirement being in the forefront or closer than it was 10 years ago, uh, you know, he, he'll randomly say, so, you know, what would it require to teach an engineering class or at FAU perhaps? I'd be like, Dad, you're credentialed. All you would need to do is send in your transcripts and be like, yeah, I have 40 years as an engineering experience, 40 years of experience as, as a marine engineer or electrical engineer or mechanical engineer. You can teach any of those classes. And I, I think you'd be great at it. But so it, it's admirable when I see people like that where they're not just defined as a teacher or as an engineer, that they're willing and hopeful that not because something else is better or what's currently happening is not good enough, but it, it's within themselves to challenge uh, themselves to be better or, or to say, hey, I, I, try, I did teaching for 20 years. Let's see what else I can excel at. And in our school, we get a lot of the opposite. We get people who had a career in something else and then they're like, well, now I'm going to go teach. Um, I think we could flip it. <laughs> I don't know. But the other thing about it is that, um, I don't know, I think that, I don't want to teach for the extra money, mm -hmm. but I don't mind teaching and doing something else for the extra money. You know, like when I say, like, I do the consulting jobs and I do the translation jobs and I, you know, I, I do things for printing cards company. I've done all these crazy little things on the side that, um, you know, but I don't know, I guess it also has to do with your personal life experience, you know. You have this career that you may or may not love and that you may or may not enjoy, but we continue to evolve as as person, I mean, as a person. So if at my personal level, I'm in a different place, sometimes those things don't match anymore. Also, when I started teaching, it was very different from starting teaching now. Like, I mean, I started teaching in the public school system in New York. I probably wouldn't dare do that now because the, the process has changed. The system has changed, you know, and... Even now, you know, we were just talking about our students and it, it's, it trickles down. It's a trickle down effect. The students that we get now are not the students that I was getting 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Also, it will vary depending on where you are. You know, like when I teach in the summers in Spain, I'm in heaven. You should see what I'm doing when I'm there. <laughs> it's like, let me teach. I can teach. <laughs> I don't have to deal with politics. I don't have to deal with rules. I don't, just like, I'm it. <laughs> so it's different. All right. Uh, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Stand up to people who thought they had too much power over me. I won't press further. You shouldn't. <laughs> even though I'm I, I'm even though I want to. I'm happy to have coffee with you someday when there's no pandemic. Sure. <laughs>
my office or your office. We'll, we'll pick a spot and then chat. <laughs> uh, what person from history, living or alive, or living or dead, would you most like to have a meal or a drink with? Oh my God, this is hard. That's a very difficult one. Or maybe it's a party and you can invite more people than one. Oh my God, I'll have, the, I'll have a blast over the best party ever because it will be like from different decades and everything. <laughs> Oof. Um, what am I having with these people? A conversation? Uh, <laughs> a meal, coffee, drink, whatever you like. Okay. I'm going to go with somebody alive just because it's this year and it's recent. If I got to have my party, it would. Um, I would like to have a meal and conversation with Barack Obama. What would be the first question you ask him? Oh, how are you doing? <laughs> if you only had one question to ask. Oh, come on. You're making this very difficult. Well, because if, how are you doing is, well, yeah, yeah, of course, that's the first question I would ask anyone. I think I, would, I think I would just have so many questions. I couldn't even tell you what the first one would be, you know, because it's funny because I actually think that most women would say, I would like to have a time with Michelle Obama. But I kind of understand her. I'm not sure that I understand him. Okay. <laughs> so um, in terms of like other people, because there's a whole lot of people that, you know, I can think of people in literature and the arts and everything. But um, I think I would like to be in a situation sort of, um, there's a Netflix TV show in Spanish that's called The Ministry of Time, mm -hmm. where the, I don't know if you're familiar with it, where they, they get to travel back in time and interact with people from the past, you know, um, forget the party. That's what I want to do. Okay. So, well, what, what types of things would interest you about him? I mean, do you ask him about politics, about his time as a Senator? Do you, do you ask about his relationship with I'm, Michelle? I'm not, I don't think so, I'm interested in the politics. I'm interested in the person. Yeah. So what's, I guess if you had to ask, I'll, I'll, play Barack Obama terribly, but imagine I am I not going to do this. <laughs> I can't. I mean, because it will, it, I, I, to be honest, like, I'm not going to ask, you know, how did you feel when you went to Cuba? Or what happened sure. when you interacted with such and such? How did you feel when you were elected president? I'm not, I, I, uh, that I can get an idea of what the answer. I'm interested in the person. So I will have to be asking very personal questions. Fair enough. So. <laughs> that makes sense. I'm, I'm, I'm very into life experience and where it takes you. So, you know, that, that's the, the route that I will be taking. That explains things. Are you a procrastinator? And if not, how do you avoid procrastinating? If you ask my husband, he will tell you that I am a huge procrastinator. But um, in my defense... <laughs> or justification or whatever you want to call it. I, one of those, I'm one of those people that I work best under pressure. Mm -hmm. So I'm the kind of person that if I'm going to travel and I have to pack my suitcase because I live on Sunday, this whole week, starting Monday, I'll be making a mental note of everything that I need to put in my suitcase. However, I am not going to pick up that suitcase until Saturday night or Sunday morning. And that's the right way to do it. <laughs> But, I, I well, may or may I, not be guilty of doing the exact same thing. 
so I don't know if that makes me a procrastinator because I would I think of procrastinating as like not doing anything about it until the last minute. I am doing something about it. I am planning, you know, I, I am paying attention to the details in my head and sometimes physically because it's like, oh, I'm gonna wash this shirt so it's available on Saturday. Sure. And I'm just giving you the travel example. I do the same thing with teaching, with grading, you know. Like today, I thought I was gonna sit down and grade videos and i was like oh my god i have a meeting sorry <laughs> I forgot about the meeting then i remember the meeting so it's like i better go put a shirt on because i was in my pajamas put my hair back or something <laughs> all right the uh, second to last question uh you're in a room with i don't know 500 to a thousand people of, of all walks of life or from of all, all walks of life uh you have their attention what would you say? It could be a piece of advice. It could be something pithy. It could be something poignant. It could be a joke. You have the attention of a thousand people in an auditorium. What do you say to them? Live life with joy. <laughs> I don't know. I, I happen to be a very shy person. I don't know if you know this. I, I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> you, you play the part um, very well. I don't... I don't like crowds. Okay. I don't like speaking in front of a crowd. I like talking to my students because I don't think of interacting with my students as an event or like I have to get everybody's attention. I, to me, it's just, it's, this is what I do. Um, my husband has taught at Palm Beach State a couple of classes. And I remember once he told me he would walk by my classroom when I was teaching and just watch me. And he said, I thought you were all pissed off before you went into that class. Why do you look so happy when you're in there? <laughs> and I think it's because I have this ability to, regardless of politics, administration, work conditions, um, pay, regardless of what it is, I love what I do. So when I walk into the classroom, I can just teach and forget about everything else. And this happened at every institution that I worked, you know, whether it was, you know, CU Boulder, um, University of Denver, Metro State, public high school. You, there's always the conflict and the disagreement with the administration or the injustice or whatever is going on. But when I walk into my classroom, I, I feel free. I feel it's a happy peace. place. I, I'm fine. No, I am honest. And so... Um, I don't have a problem with just walking into the room and say, open your textbook, tell them a joke, tell them what happened last night or whatever, or simply tell them I'm not having a good day. So bear with me today. But, um, if I had to talk to like a group of 500 people, I probably would have planned it ahead and I haven't planned it now. Like I wouldn't just walk into a situation where I have to talk to 500 people without thinking about it really hard because I hate speaking in front of a crowd. All right. Fair enough. Uh, last question. What would you title this podcast? Or, well, our episode. Your episode. I don't know why I said our episode. I got to know my neighbor, even though I didn't get to ask him any questions. <laughs> I got to know my neighbor. I guess it works both ways. That, that's a nice pun. I like that. That's what I would say. I mean, I really didn't get to ask you any questions, but I do want to say before I go, you know, like it's just something about I admire this, I admire that. I think very highly of you as a professor based on what I've seen and what I've heard. Oh, thank you. And I feel the same way um, about you as a colleague. So. I appreciate that. 
I, I, I think we have a lot in common, even though we don't really know each other all that much till today. <laughs> I don't know. Hopefully I get to know you better in the future. Uh, you know, I'm only the explorer. But we do have a, a very opposite, um, odd schedule. Schedule, stuff. yeah. I, I find that whenever, I always see you going into your office when I'm going to teach and vice versa. I have that problem with everybody because my classes meet for two hours. Mm-hmm. So everybody's done in an hour and 15 and I'm in the classroom longer. So I never, it's weird, but it's what it is. All right. Well, thank you so very much. I, I, I know it took way more of your time than I had originally hoped for, but thank you again for spending the afternoon. And I, I truly appreciate you being generous with your time. Thank you. I'm, I'm sorry it all went into work stuff. <laughs> That's okay. I mean, it, the conversations end up where they end up. I try to avoid the work stuff as much as possible, but sometimes it's, it's unavoidable. Maybe I have to practice being better. Well, I hope you are safe and your family is doing well during this time. I know Florida's changed and all that. We didn't get to touch on that, but I I hope you're well and stay well. (laughs) Thank you. You as well. Have a nice day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Until next time, for another 79 times, take care.